Hi friends, hi family. It's good to be back. I was here uh, two years ago. Was anybody here two years ago when I was? Awesome. Sometimes it feels like, wow, it's only been two years and sometimes it's like, wait, it's been two years? So um, two years, two minutes, it's really good to be back. And this is, I get to, tra I have the opportunity of traveling a lot and, and it's all amazing it's all beautiful I'm thankful for all of it and sometimes there's just extra special places right you guys are extra special you guys are extra special it's it's so beautiful to see the uh, the range of ages here worshiping the same God with the same excitement it's really neat to see that so Lord we thank you that it is truly only in you that we can have this type of excitement. It's only in you that we can have joy and not just joy, but Jesus, you tell us that we can have fullness of joy when we abide in you. And so thank you for those happy times that come and go with our circumstances, but thank you that we truly have fullness of joy in you. We pray tonight, even though it's a, it can be a heavy topic, and even as I share part of my testimony, Lord God, it's, it's tough. But the redemption part and the healing part and being the full and complete in you part is truly joyous. And so may that be what we hear tonight, bringing you and you alone glory. So we thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So um, love is so important, but but there's a couple things things that seem to be on trial now, like love, what is it, and truth, what is it, right? How many of you have heard, well, love is love? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It's, it's like, well, water is water. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I've had some water that's like, is this water? I've actually even bought some bacon, and I'm like, this is not bacon, this is plastic. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. But it's not love is love, it's who is love and what is love. First John tells us who love is. We know the Lord is love and he first love us so that we can might love him. But First Corinthians 13 tells us in a sense what is love. And so First Corinthians 13.1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So there's a way to love, right? And 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You guys are well fed here. And so with that, we can make our way to verse eight that says, love never fails. So there's a way to love with humility and with grace and with truth because it's the truth that sets us free. So Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is a simple, simple truth, but it's a difficult truth for the culture we live in now. And the truth is, we are created beings, male and female. We are to be fruitful and multiply, and that brings God glory. But when we don't believe that truth, 
The only other option is to make our own truth. It's literally the only other option. And when we make our own truth, it's nothing more than a lie. And my lie was born this way. See, when I was little, I don't have a lot of memories of of my childhood, but there are parts of it that I remember, good and difficult. And what I do remember and look back on a lot, especially because of the ministry that I do, is when I was little, my first memories of who I was was that I was a boy. Not in a tomboy kind of way. I really thought that I was a boy. And so when I reached whatever age it was, four or five, whatever it was, to realize I was actually a girl, I became very, very confused by that. I was doing all the things that the boys did and I excelled at it and I felt like a boy and I wanted to be a boy. And so it confused me and it made me angry. I was angry because I felt gypped. My friends Johnny and Brian and Billy were boys and they were being called boys, you know, he and him, and this was before pronoun language. But I wasn't being, even though I did all the boy things, I wasn't being treated like them. When I, when I went and asked if I could spend the night at, at Johnny's house, because they just got a new pool table or ping pong table in their basement, I was told no because Johnny was a boy and I was a girl at like six or seven years old. And it just confused me. And so I tried to vocalize this to my parents as best as I could. And they didn't know what to do with that. I was, uh, when I was eight years old, um, so in 19, oh my gosh, 1974, <laughs> um, my parents took me, oh, I can't use this. Oh, how am I going to use my hands? All right, Lord, let me be one-handed tonight. So when I was eight years old, you turn this off, right? So there's no feedback? Okay, so when I was eight years old, my, parent, my mom took me to the doctor and said, my daughter thinks she's a boy, what should we do? And the doctor said, oh, don't worry about it. She'll grow out of it and make a fine wife someday. Which statistically is actually mostly true because in the 90 plus percentile kids that have gender confusion pre-puberty, if there's no affirming their confusion, over 90% of them do grow out of it on the other side of puberty, but that wasn't my story. My gender confusion led to eventually having gender dysphoria. And so that was confusing in and of itself, but there was also other things and circumstances in my life that were causing me confusion and anger, and one of them was what I was experiencing in my home. Now please understand this is not me throwing my parents under the bus, or saying anything is my parents' fault, is this is just my story. In my home, I heard my dad continually speak things over my mother like you're stupid, you're worthless, and you're crazy. So crazy, I'm gonna drop you off at the loony bin and never pick you up. And I would hear this daily. Words carry a lot of um, power, so to speak, in them. We have to be very mindful what we say and what we say in front of our children. And so what this did is I either had to believe, well, my dad is speaking truth, so my mom is stupid and worthless or crazy and crazy, or my dad is not speaking the truth, which makes him a mean, angry liar. Now, what's a little kid supposed to do with, with this? So what I did is I detached from my mom just in case. 
just in case what he was saying was true. So I didn't want to be, as a girl, grow up, be like my mom and be worthless and stupid and crazy. So I, I, I already felt like a boy, so I just poured more into being more boy-like. It wasn't a stretch for me. I already felt that way. And then there was another situation that was happening which caused a lot of deep pain and, and confusion. And that was, for, there was a season in my young life that I was being sexually abused. And so, as a child, as anyone, you don't know what to do with this. And so, because whether you're five or 55, the brain is always trying to make sense of things. And so the only thing my little girl brain could think of is, this must only happen to little girls. So if I could just become that boy, I already feel like maybe the sexual abuse would stop. Obviously, that's not the case, but I ended up with that, having a love-hate relationship with my body. I love the fact that it was an athletic body and I got to do all the things, all the sports the boys did. I was the first girl in Western New York to play Little League Baseball the first, with all the boys. First girl to do this with the boys and first girl to do this. And so that was great, but I hated my body because it was a girl body and it was being used for someone else's sexual deviancy. And so I had this love-hate relationship with my body. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know that I could reach out and cry out to the Lord to at least ask for comfort and prayer. It doesn't mean that he would have fully taken me out of that situation, but I would have found comfort in the Lord. But I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so I didn't know I could turn to the Lord. I didn't know that there was a God of, of grace and a God of strength and, and comfort and peace and a God of truth. So again, I made up my own truth. And the truth was I was in deep pain and I didn't know how to relieve it. And so the only way I could think of to relieve it because I handled everything in my own strength because I didn't know I could turn to the Lord. There was no adults in my life that I trusted. And so the only thing I could think of to do to relieve the pain was drugs and alcohol. My self-injury, I began to self-injure my body at five years old. And that didn't stop for years, but um, as I got a little bit older, I found, unfortunately, I found relief in drugs and alcohol. And please understand that I am, uh, I'm just explaining my story. There is no relief. In, in hurting ourselves, and there is no relief in drugs and alcohol. It is deception. It's understandable that people go there, but it's deception, and it leads to death and more suffering. It doesn't lead to life and freedom, but I did not know that. And I, so I just, I longed for relief. That really wasn't bringing it. Now I'm you know, in my early teens, and I realized I'm attracted to girls, so now I have to add that on to all the pain that I was experiencing. I tried to conform to what I thought the world wanted of me in high school, and I tried to present feminine way and so I grew out my hair and I'm trying to to you know I'm watching the girls trying to see how they move and how they act and how they're being silly and I'm just like that's so not me but I tried I didn't want to be confused about my gender I didn't want to have same-sex attraction it's a burden 
And so the only thing I could think of to do was, was to, to watch girls and try to emulate them. But that didn't work. And then when I was 18 years old, I met a man and he asked me out on a date and I'd never gone out on a date with a guy before, but I was like, aha, maybe if I go out on a date with a guy, it'll take away my same-sex attraction and my gender confusion. And so I went out on a date with this guy and so I'm asking him, you know, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, I, we, I met him at a party. I'm like, everyone was really happy to see you. Like, who are you? He's like, oh, it's the first time everyone's seen me since I was just released from prison, so everyone was happy to see me. I'm like, oh. I watch Cagney and Lacey and the Bionic Woman. I know how to jump out of the car and roll and live if I have to. For those of you who are younger, Google it. But I was so amazed that someone was paying me attention just for me that I continued dating him. And then just shy of a year later, I ended up marrying him. So I was a 19-year-old, same-sex attracted, gender-confused, drug-addicted, alcoholic teenager, and he was a 27-year-old, just re released from prison man that was living with his grandmother and had no job. But I would have done anything to make all of that stuff go away. But within weeks, he began to physically abuse me, so I, that just planted more seeds on my heart that all men were bad. Now imagine for a moment what it's like to feel like a man, but hate men. That's really confusing just in and of itself in that. So there was so much inner turmoil going on constantly and I didn't know what to do with all of it because I didn't know Jesus because nobody, nobody told me about Jesus. And so I stayed in that marriage for a little while and then finally filed for a divorce and moved far, far away and that's when I fully came out. I started um, presenting in a more masculine way. There, I didn't identify as transgender, but I, if it would have been, <laughs> instead of being in the 1990s, if that would have all happened now, I 100% would have identified as transgender. But there really wasn't those identifiers as uh, prevalent as they are now. So I just, I just look like a dude. <laughs> I mean, I presented in the masculine. All the clothes I bought were from the men's department. I walked, talked, and moved like a man. I taught my voice how to be deeper. But I didn't have he, him identifiers, but I didn't call myself a woman. I identified as a person. And so when I presented in the masculine, it was the first time that I ever felt safe. I felt safe presenting in the masculine because if I looked like a man, no man would ever hurt me again. And so my clothing and my persona, they were my suit of armor because I didn't know about the Ephesians chapter six armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I didn't know about that, so I created my own. There was no other option. And then as I started you know, uh, uh, identifying as gay, I didn't really identify as a lesbian because that indicated being a woman, so I identified as, as gay. And when I came out as gay is when I felt freedom for the first time. 
Now, just because I felt freedom, though, doesn't mean I was free. That is deception. It is understandable, but being understandable doesn't make something that's a lie become truth. It makes it understandable so that we can show grace and mercy to the person that is experiencing that. But I didn't know any Christians, so I didn't know anything about grace and mercy. I didn't know the Lord, so I didn't know anything about grace and mercy. So I was living in deception. I was self-identifying in a way that was deceptive, but to me it felt like safety and truth. It felt like freedom. Deception always comes in a way that deceives us. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, in, in Genesis chapter something, uh, I think it's a single digit, maybe, I don't know, maybe chapter four or five, but it says sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. So when, when sin or deception comes to our front door, it knocks on the front door and we open it, and it's not like we open it and we see like some creature with, you know, red body and horns and a pitchfork and blood dripping you know, from its teeth, and it's like, hey, I'm deception, I'm here to deceive you, we would slam the door. Deception comes knocking on our door, and as we open it, this deception presents itself or introduces itself to us as the very thing we think we need and desire. And so we let it in. The only way we can know what is true and what is deception is this. It's the word of God there's literally no truth left anywhere in our culture, in our world now. The medical field isn't bringing truth. Colleges, universities, Christian universities aren't fully bringing truth. The government, I know, shocker, <laughs> no truth there. <laughs> Schools from kindergarten up, not really bringing truth anymore. History is being changed or trying to be changed. The literally the only place we find truth is in the word of God, and so we have to know it. We have to know the word so that we know the truth so that we can recognize deception because it's very prevalent in our culture. But I didn't know that, so I'm living my life thinking I'm in this freedom and finally wanting to settle down, and I met a woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and so we came together. Marriage wasn't legal but we lived together we lived our life together and things were great until they weren't and there were two circumstances that that really came into my life that that really caused me to to stop in my tracks one was 9-11 cuz see I was I was a flight attendant I just retired two years ago but I was 25 years a flight attendant for Continental and then United Airlines and so and so was she at the time so when 9-11 happened we were based out of Newark New Jersey so our home, as a crow flies, was 17 miles from the towers. Miraculously, we, we had off that day. It's a whole another story that I don't have time to explain, but, but so 9-11 happened. We saw it with our own eyes from our attic. We smelled this horrendous smell for months and months afterwards. And then we had to get back on airplanes and work flights again. It was a very, very, very scary time. And then just three months after that, my only brother Larry called to tell me he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And so I'm going to work, working those flights that everyone was a terrorist to me. If you didn't look me in the eye when you boarded, I wouldn't let you on the flight. I mean, it was crazy. And then on my days off, I would travel from New Jersey back to Western New York to see my brother. 
was very, very difficult time. One of the times I went to see him, he was so excited. He's like, Patty, I have to tell you some amazing news. And I'm like, oh, you're in remission. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, Bruce, the guy across the street has been bringing his Bible over to my house and there's these things called the Gospels and they talk about Jesus and Patty. I believe. And he lit up. And I'm like, and I, I was happy. I'm like, that's amazing. But then as I went back home, it sank in like, oh, is he gonna be like those other Christians that I see every year at Pride Parade that are holding up signs that say things like God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve? or homosexuals will burn in hell, or God hates fags. Is that who my brother's gonna become? Because that's the only thing about Christians that I've ever experienced. But he didn't, praise the Lord. And then on October 22nd, 2002, as I was holding his hand in the hospital, I watched my brother take his last breath. My brother died right in front of me. And death became real to me for the first time in my life, and I didn't know what to do with it. My girlfriend tried to comfort me as best as she could, but when you don't know Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life, how do you comfort somebody when it comes to death? But God did. It was shortly after that as all these questions are rolling around in my heart, like who am I, what is this, who is this, that I'm, like what, what is all of this? And as God would have it, he's so good. I woke up one morning, I rolled over, I looked my girlfriend in the eye and I said, do you ever think the way we're living is wrong? And I couldn't believe that I said that out loud, especially when she looked at me with these huge eyes. I was so worried that I just ruined everything or hurt her. And she responds with, I can't believe you just asked me that. I was literally just getting ready to ask you the same thing. Tell me that's not the Holy Spirit all up inside our gay bedroom that day because there's no place you can flee from God's presence and there's no place that you can go that he won't make his presence known to you. Even in Psalm 139, it says, the darkness and the light are the same to the Lord. He came and met us right where we were because he knew we were his. And so we just got on our knees right there in our bedroom and said, by the way, those of you who are bringing, uh, allowing your uh, high school kids to come on Friday and Saturday, Saturday I'll be speaking, I don't share it that uh, intimately when I share with the kids, but um, with you guys, I, 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 I know I can. So we got on our knees and said, God, if you're real, will you show us? And if the way we're living is wrong, show us. And so I'm like, my brother said the Bible was important. So we ran up into the attic and we're fishing through boxes and we found a Bible and then we just brought it downstairs and we're just like, man, there's a lot of pages in this thing. <laughs> what do we do with this? And then finally I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Let's just read here. And as God would have it, it was Leviticus 18.22, which says, and you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And so I just want to take a pause from the story for a second and say, it says it is an abomination, not they are an abomination. God is talking about the behavior. There is no place in the Bible that's talking about same-sex sexual acts that talks about it as an identity. It is only uh, presented as a behavior and in that a sinful one. It's never talking about a person as in an identity or an orientation because well, there just isn't one, <laughs> but maybe that'll come up in Q&A. So we were pretty shocked, and so we thought God was real, but that's all we knew. 
And then after about a week, I'm like, well, that's just talking about guys. Maybe we're okay because all of a sudden it was okay for me to be a woman. And so, so, but we come home from work and talk to a, a fl another flight attendant that was a Christian. And she said, listen, you guys got to read chapter one of Romans. So we did. And when we got to verse 26 and 27 of Romans one, this is what we read. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So at that point, we knew this was real. We knew God was real. That's all we knew. And we knew we had to find a church. And again, as the Lord would have it, he led us to a Calvary Chapel, um, which was Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, New Jersey, Pastor Lloyd Pulley. Uh, we walked in, sat down, and heard worship music for the first time ever. I didn't know what worship music was. I, I heard Christmas music and Easter music, and that was about it. But when I saw the words up on the screen talking about the goodness and the holiness of God, I was like, that's who God is? Wow. But then when the songs were talking about how much he loves me, whew, that ripped my heart wide open. It's the first time I ever heard that God loved me. So I started crying and then I started arguing with God. No, there's no way you could love me. I've done too many bad things. A lot of bad things have happened to me and you know how I identify and then there's you know her, my girlfriend, and all your people say that you hate me. So, because I equated those few people at Pride Parades as all God's people. We have, to, we have to be mindful how we present ourselves to the world because people are gonna equate us with God and all his people. And so the Lord in his mercy and kindness and in his holiness and righteousness and in his power was washing me with the truth that he loved me. And it was one of the most beautiful feelings I've ever had, even though I was arguing with him. And so it was in that church in January 19th, 2003, that as Pastor Lloyd was giving an invitation to, to come forward and pray that I did. And I prayed and asked God the Father to forgive me of my sins, for Jesus to be the Lord and Savior in my life and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in an instant, as you know, everything changed. I went from darkness to light, from deception to truth, truth that God loved me, and that truth set me free. Immediately, my 24-year addiction to drugs and alcohol ended, and so did my gay identity. My new identity was in Christ Jesus and him alone. Amen. Amen. And you know that I was being sincere and that, that it like took because when they invited me back into the little room to pray more and to grab a Bible, I went. <laughs> so it was in that little room that I looked over and saw that my girlfriend had done the same thing. So we walked in as girlfriends and left as sisters in Christ, never to be with each other again. That's who our God is. And we weren't sad about it. We got home and it's like, can you believe this? God is real. La, da, da, da. I moved in the spare bedroom almost instantly. And she's like, I want to get you a gift. And so she bought me a TV for my room in the house now. 
And we both just were devouring the word of God. I couldn't get enough of the word of God because I knew that's where the answers were. And the answers to who God is, I, I read through the whole Bible by June. I read through the New Testament again by the end of the year because I wanted to find out who he was. Who is this God that is holy and righteous and loves me? And if you are not in his word, can I just encourage you to be in his word? Find out who God is. He's so amazing, and he loves you so much, and he wants to spend time with you. Just spend time with him. He never takes his eyes off of you, you know. His thoughts are always with you. Turn to him and turn to him in, in, in the word. And so I was growing and growing in the Lord, and he was showing me, like, I was asking questions like, okay, well, where did all this come from? And in his patience and goodness and holiness and perfect timing, he was showing me all that, how I disconnected from my mom, how the sexual abuse had really uh, brought so much pain and injury to my, uh, just the, the whole of my identity. And he's still bringing healing and wholeness to me because, again, he doesn't take his eyes off of me either. And so um, for those of you who uh, might have same-sex attraction or those of you who identify as any part of the LGBT plus community, please don't run from God. Run to him with all that you have. He sees it all anyways. Admit and submit. Admit what you're going through or what you're feeling or experiencing and then submit it to him and just see what he'll do with it. The Lord wants to heal you, not hurt you, and he wants to give you a prosperous life in him. Doesn't mean everything's going to be, you know, all peachy, but it'll be prosperous in him if you just turn to him. He is a good God and he loves you. Amen. So I'm going to invite Pastor Troy up. Oh, oh, he's, yep, there he is. Okay. So, all right, while we're waiting for him, I just can't help it. As the night grows uh, later and, and darker, I get sillier. So, are right, you ready? What happens, and since, you know, it's like we, we talk about, you know, rainbows, and God gives a rainbow that's seven colors, and, and um, the LGBT rainbow before the, you know, 46 other colors that they added. Um, is, is six colors. I'll, I'll give a rainbow thing. What happens when a rainbow? What happens when a rainbow breaks the law? It goes to prison. But don't worry, it's a light sentence. Oh, that's bad. All right. Yeah, I told you it gets. It's bad. You still love me though, right? Okay. How's your voice? Perfect. We'll see. <laughs> that is, I know I've heard you share that several times, but that is so amazing. Who is like our God? That is just amazing. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of these questions that we're going to see. Oh, Siri says she does not understand me. You're not the only one. Um, there we go. Um, I think that <clears throat> there's that... We have a lot of questions, a lot of really, really good questions, and I know we're not going to get to all of them, but I think that it's, um, in a lot of these questions, it's like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I respond? What should I do? And I think we need to be asking these questions, but then there's the God factor, 
where he just shows up in environments, in people's lives, and you've got, I mean, just like he did in yours. None of us in here have been saved outside of an encounter with God. And we all have passed from darkness into light through the power of the gospel. And so... We believe God's still alive, and he's still saving. You weren't the, And he still speaks. And he's still speaking. And, and, you know, you and your friend were not the last two people to get saved. So I think, you know, as we go through these questions, I just, I hope you'll keep that in mind. You want to tell me a little bit about this paper that we handed out? Okay, so um, the papers are using preferred pronouns. This is uh, what I sat with the Lord with for a very long time. Um, because, you know, should I or should I not use people's preferred pronouns is, is such a hot topic. Um, my answer just flat out without explaining is no. No, don't use someone's preferred. Pronoun hospitality is not hospitable. You're perpetuating the deception that they're already in, and you're actually lying to them. So um, what we have here is, is Old Testament verses about lying, what it does to the person that you're lying to and what it does to your heart. Be very careful, brothers and sisters, with lying. Your heart will change. Then the verses about truth and lies, and then New Testament verses about lying. And then, as you can see at the bottom of the biggest lie of all, uh, Genesis 3, 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, and look where that led us. So... um, Maybe we can get more into that through Q&A as we enter into John chapter 8. And then the gay identifying Christians, because there's a lot of Christians that identify as gay. And I just wanted to give a handout for you guys to understand uh, those who uh, identify as side A gay Christians and those who identify as side B gay Christians. Side A gay Christians still live actively in the sexual behavior and... um, what they would call marriages, side B gay Christians are celibate, but they still, I, they still carry the uh, gay identity, which um, is very hard for me to understand because that was part of the sin that I brought to the cross. So it's very confusing for me why I would want to carry any of that back. Um, so this just gives a little bit of more understanding of what they believe. You know, one of the things you talked about, and it relates to, I got to turn this just a little bit so I can see you guys too. Um, It comes down to this matter of truth, right? It's truth. So um, where do we get our authority for truth? Because this is, I think this, that, when you answer that question, then so much of life's difficult challenges are answered. So where do you find authority? And um, I think you would say, I know you would say. From the word of God. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So I think this is, um, this is where you know, we, we come from. And it, from that vantage point is we want to use the word of God. And what does the Bible say? And when we establish what the Bible says, um, if that is the authority, then this, it doesn't answer um, maybe the heartache that you have with your grandchild or your, you know, a family member or friend who thinks that because you take a biblical stand that they, you no longer love them. It's not necessarily going to repair that, but <clears throat> we have to stand upon truth. And I think, you know, what you said is be careful. And they're like, well, I'm not going to become, you know, uh, transgender. Here's why you got to be careful. And you can add to this if you want, but you got to be careful because when you begin to uh, diminish the authority of God's word in one area, 
then what keeps you from diminishing it in the next area? And the next area. And, and the next thing you know, ah, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And does it matter? And so I'm not saying everybody goes down that same path, but I think that's probably some of the warning that you're giving. Very much so. I've, I've talked with people that are now huge social media influencers that identify as side A gay Christians, and they started off years ago, you know, being at the same conference I was at and was invited to, to go and speak with them privately over lunch. And they, they were queer, no, the, they were LGBTQ, the Q being questioning. And then they went to Q queer, and now they're, they're identifying as gay. And I don't even want to give you this young man's name because I, I don't want you to look him up. But he went to Moody Bible College, you know, strong believer in the word of God. But with each one of these um, personhood identifiers, the compromise begets compromise begets compromise. He now believes Jesus was a sinner. Um, he believes the cross was more of a social justice proclamation. And it's, I am actually concerned that he has a Pharaoh-like heart now and I don't know that he will ever be able to fully turn to the truth of who Jesus Christ yeah. is. It's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking how far he's, he's gone, yeah. where he just started off with the cue of questioning. Yeah. Be very careful. Yeah, so I think even before you get in the nuts and bolts of uh, in the, the emotional aspects of these questions that are coming in, there is like so much emotion that's, that's put, so much hurt and pain and confusion and disappointment with others and self that's listed in these questions. Um, <clears throat> but before I think you get to that emotional part, you've got you to get to the truth part. And, and what is, where does truth come from? Who has the authority to tell Troy Warner or Patty Hyde how to live life? Who has the authority to tell me what I can say and what I can't say? Who has the authority to tell me, you see how it goes? Um, and so we believe in the authority of God's word that Jesus died on the cross three days later. He rose from the dead and he's coming back for us. These are truths that we hold. How do you know that? Because it's in the Bible. So how do you know that part's true if the other part's not true? And this is where the warning, we've got to be so careful. So, and, 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 yeah. and, and not always just a, a warning that you might become sexually attracted to the same sex. That's actually not even really what I'm talking about, like with the lying stuff. It's parents who have a solid foundation um, biblical solid foundation, raise their kids in the church, and then one of their kids comes out. And then so many stories of within two years, those parents no longer believe what the Bible says about sex and sexuality because the emotional part of it, they've, they've, oh Lord, help me say this in a gentle, they've elevated their love for their child over their, their love and obedience to the Lord. It's understandable, but it's very, very dangerous. And I, I don't know yeah. what the Lord will do with, with, yeah. with the walk of the parents in that. Yeah, I think it becomes complicated, and Jesus really dealt with this. He said that um, our love for him ought to be greater than our love for our family, right? And I said, well, family's first. No, um, God is first. And um, when we are loving God the way we should, then we're, we're going to be the best lovers of our family, um, of anybody around. Um, and so don't ever think that you are more righteous or more loving or caring or sympathetic than the one who sent his son to hang upon the cross for all sin. 
And so th- this might be something that is hard for you to process because of your deep emotional connection and the threat that if you don't buy into what they're doing, you're going to be cut off. That is, that is severe manipulation and threatening. And I, I, I feel for you um, in that. And you know, there's plenty of people in this room that know this and um, <clears throat> yeah, to get prayer support and all that. But Jesus said, if you don't love me more than them, you're not worthy of me. So those are some very strong words. So, I mean, we really need to allow the Lord to be Lord. And um, I'm, we're not pretending like this is easy. But let's get to some of the questions. Um, this one, um, what would you do to protect uh, your ch- our children from the LGBT agenda, particularly in our schools? Thank you for asking that question. And... I, I again, I, I know there's uh, financial situations. I know there's oftentimes two working parents, but if if you guys could just get a glimpse of what I've read and watched and understand what is going on in our public school system, starting in pre-K and in kindergarten all through twelfth uh, grade for for our schools. It is so filled with demonic indoctrination and um, many, many who are in the position of authority at the school, whether it be counselors or principals, vice principals or teachers that are very, very liberal and have, uh, you know, different types of LGBT flags in their school. They present themselves in their sexuality and their gender identity, and they talk about their own personal private life to their students. It is, um, I, I can't believe the Lord hasn't come back for his people yet. I, I, I mean mm. that it, it, sincerely. Like, I really don't understand patience, uh, the Lord's patience. I do, and I don't. But if there is any way... For, do you guys have a school here? We don't, but there are okay. some very good Christian okay. schools Okay, if there in is town. any way that you could find a way to adjust your budget to bring your child to a, a Christian school, um, I would highly suggest to do that. I, I know a lot of parents are like, well, our children are strong. They're, there's a you know solid biblical foundation. But they're at school and influenced by those in authority and their peers, this other students in school, so much that it's the the time that they get at home with you guys or here at the church. Um, I don't know. It's 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 dangerous. I'm trying to be careful yeah. with with how much I say what to do and what not to do. If certainly if you can homeschool, do that. But if if you have to, if there's no other choice but public school, which I understand that's predominantly the way most families have to go, please at least two to three times a week, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 at home with your family, with your children before they get to kindergarten and all through their years because they have to understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because that's, that's where truth begins and they're, the truth of all of that, they're learning literally the opposite of that in school and their peers. And if they're old enough, 
if you've allowed them to have devices such as phones and iPads and such, and they're on social media, they are being influenced by demonic <laughs> forces and entities, and they're being influenced by sexual predators, all in the name of LGBT+, and they're being indoctrinated more than I could have ever imagined even five years ago. So please, if you can do nothing other than public school, please read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to them at least three times a week, and they might roll their eyes when they get older. doesn't matter. They need to be um, given the truth of who God is, who how God, who God is in creation, and the way He created us, male and female, be fruitful and multiply, and and this is what happens when you choose not to believe the Lord. Yeah. So let me chime in on this too. So th I had three kids. Um, they went through. We had them go through public school. Um, when they got into high school, they went over to um, LCA. Um, primarily, the motivation was not to correct some. Well, it was not. I mean, our kids were walking with the Lord. Um, so when they went over there, it, it was a financial decision for the scholarship um, at Liberty. <clears throat> so that, that's what we did. Um, however, we were extremely involved in school. Um, and uh, we found, and I realize it's, it's been some time, my kids, um, since they graduated. But um, <clears throat> what we found in, in the city of Lynchburg, and I think there's... there's we're a little better off than some other places around the world, but even going back to when our kids were in school, um, we were very involved. We were at the schools. They knew, everybody knew uh, Rebecca and Troy um, there, more Rebecca than Troy, um, just because you know she was a stay-at-home mom, and so she could be over there and were involved in all of these things. And what we found um, was that they wanted our input. <clears throat> they knew who I was. And they wanted our input. They, there's a lot of godly administrators and, and, um, and teachers. And so if we can, if you are in that situation and you don't feel led to do that, then I would say insert yourself in that place. And I think what you're going to find is these teachers and administrators are going to, um, that are believers, are going to look for ways to pull you in. And so um, even to the point where I ended up being part of hiring um, I didn't hire. I was part of the, uh, the, uh, the parent group that interviewed the next superintendent. This is going back years ago. And so we were very involved. We, we got asked to review all this um, sex ed curriculum. So I'm, I'm just saying, and, I, and this was a while ago. So if you're in that situation, insert yourself and be kind. And you know, we didn't ask for these things. We just showed up and we did all the other things that they asked for help with. And so as we did that, we built a great relationship. So, um, <clears throat> but if you look at our, your children and you're like, I see my kid going down that drain of, uh, you know, that dark hole, um, you, got, you have to change the circumstances. You got you to change it. And, I, and that can be very, very difficult. Um, so do that. Now, I, I just... It, 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 the fact that it's different, let me give you this quote. This is from um, Frank Turk's book. And um, 
He says, however, gender dysphoria has been a rare condition historically. Until recently, it has affected about one out of every 10,000 people, most of them biological boys thinking they were girls. In fact, prior to 2012, there was no scientific literature showing that gender dysphoria even affected teenage girls, which I wonder if this affected your doctor telling your mom, don't worry about it. He goes on to say, however, over the past decade... This was just released a couple of months ago. However, the past decade, there's been a dramatic increase in girls claiming that they are really boys. For example, and I'm not going to misquote this, listen to this. In the UK, there has been a 4,400% increase in girls seeking treatment at gender clinics. So this is not just some wild activists out there. And so, you know, when she's saying, you know, this is demonic, well, where do doctrines of demons come from? Where, where do false teachers come from? It's doctrines of demons. And this is a false doctrine that's in, in our day. So we, we have entered into a different time frame. So um, I think you're going to have to decide for your families. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to seek. And, uh, you know, what's best. And, um, and, and you're going to have to walk in. But you're going to have to monitor. But what I want to say, and you've heard me say this before, is... Um, this is not just something that's being perpetuated in the school system. This is not just something that's being perpetuated through social media. I do agree with you. This is a doctrine of demons, and it is a spirit of the age, if you will. And you can homeschool, and you can take away every single device that your kids have, and you can monitor every single friend that they ever deal with, but it's a spirit of the age. And demons don't care about computer filters, or any of that other stuff. They can you know, use those, but you've got to be aware. I mean, I know I'm speaking to some of you, and your hearts are broken because that's, that's your story. You were on target and on task in all these things, and yet it still came into a homeschooled lockdown family. And that's because this is much bigger than just an agenda. Okay? It is an agenda. But. So fast and pray. And not just for your kids, but for your neighbor's kids and for the kids here. And, and pray for those uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that are public school teachers. Yes. They're having a very, very, very hard time um, being teachers now because of the things that they have to say. But it, it's like the uh, Ephesians, I mean, um, uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 6 says the spirit of the darkness of this age I, before, uh, before COVID, we'll say, um, before, certainly before same-sex marriage became legal in 2015, I would, would not have said that it's necessarily a demonic force. I didn't speak that way. But especially these past couple of years, this is from the pit of hell, and it is snagging our children and and social media is a part of it the iphone came out in 2007 and since 2007 when the iphone came out there's been a 5000 percent increase in teens and tweens that identify as lgbt plus predominantly are tween and teen girls like pastor Troy said with the uh, trans identifying identity there is a book it is not written by a christian author so please let me let you know that. Is it okay if I share this book? Yeah. It's called Irreversible Damage. It's by Abigail Shire or Schreier. Irreversible Damage. It talks about what's happening with our tween and teen girls. Um, it's like 
85% of the book is great, but the, the part that I don't agree with is, is what she says, something to the effect of, oh, please stop making our, our girls that are just lesbians into transgender. They're not transgender, they're just lesbians. Obviously, I don't agree with that. But the book, if you have a, a daughter or a granddaughter and you're concerned that, that she might be going down that road or already has, it's a good <clears throat> book to read. And there's another book called D-Trans, or Detox, D-Trans, Desist, or something like that, which is also about the uh, trans phenomenon, phenomenon that's happening with our children. Yeah. So we have a lot of questions here um, that <clears throat> kind of are around... Um, I have a family member, I have a friend, I have, you know, an acquaintance, and they're wanting me to affirm um, their pronoun or their identity, and um, love is uh, the question. If you love me, you will. If you care about me, you will affirm me. And if you don't, then you're a hater, you're a bigot, you don't care. And the relationship may be lost if I don't affirm you could simply respond, well, if you loved me, you wouldn't force me into your language because you know who I am. You know my identity is in Christ, and so for you to force that on me changes my identity. And so you're talking to me about your identity, and you want to force me in what to say and what not to say, and if I don't say what you want to say, then I don't love you. But I don't believe what you're doing to me right now is love. So when you're ready to love me, then come back and we, have, we can have a conversation. We've been put on our heels as Christians, and we're always on the defense. We need to be more on the offense without being offensive, which is what Jesus did. Jesus was meek, power and authority under control with goodness and kindness. And if Jesus, John 1.14 says, Jesus was filled with both grace and truth, it's not grace and truth, it's filled with grace and filled with truth. And if he was filled with grace and truth, we can be too because we're filled with, with the Holy Spirit. And so um, it's using someone's preferred pronouns, what people call pronoun hospitality. You're not building a bridge to bring them to the gospel. I mean, we have to speak truth to people. It was truth himself that hung on that cross, so if, if we think that we're going to use someone's preferred pronouns, which is perpetuating the deception that they're already in, and then they get saved, then all of a sudden we're going to be like, oh, okay, now let me call you who you really are. You're not trustworthy to them if you do that. Mm. People, craziness is going to happen in people's life. Like mine was 9-11 and my brother's death. Everybody has a oh no, the crazy's hitting the fan moment or moments in their life and they're going to need help. And everybody always wants help eventually from people that told them the truth, not people that, dis that, that just, um, you know, rubbed their shoulder and told them everything was going to be okay. Yeah. If, if our God's not big enough to stand in the truth, why would anybody else want our God? Hold to the truth. I know it's hard Lives are being separated because of this. Please, I get how hard that is. I'm sorry for the heartbreak you're going through that, with that, especially parents who have a daughter that comes to them and says, you know, I'm, I'm really trans, I, I'm really a boy, and, and, and you, you talk to them about it, and you, you go through the, uh, the situation of that, and then they come to you and say, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? 
That's being said in home after home after home. And like Pastor Troy said, that is nothing short of manipulation. And if they come to you and say that, you just embrace them and say, I am so sorry that things are so hard for you right now. I am so sorry. I can't imagine the pain of the experience that you're experiencing, but we love you so much. We want to help you through this. We will mortgage our home to get you the help you need, but it's going to be Christian help because we believe that you, you aren't, you, that you're being swept away by something that's not truth. And we know the truth will set you free. So we're willing to do whatever it takes to get you to the place of truth that you need. But we cannot, we cannot say something to you and identify you in something that we know that's not true because we believe that would be harmful, not helpful. And we believe someday you're going to come back to us with that truth and you're going to tell us, you know, thank you, mom and dad, for not, not succumbing to this. Mm-hmm. And, and we hope that our truth, for, especially for, for our children, would, would, um, would really sink to the heart and soul of our children before they start to transition their body into something else. Because there's three uh, phases of transition. There's social transition, medical transition, and surgical transition. Social transition is when um, our children or whoever it is uh, uh, change their pronouns, maybe the way they dress and, and how they identify. That's social transition. When we affirm tweens and teens in their social transition, 90-something percent of them will then move to medical transition hmm. if we affirm them with their preferred pronouns. So if we use their preferred pronouns, we're actually just, just throwing them into the next stage of transition, which is medical transition, which is testosterone shots or estrogen shots. And then, it's, I can't remember the statistics, but then from medical transition... Um, when, when that's being affirmed, there's a very large number that end up going to surgical transition, which is double mastectomies or whatever it might be. And then once you have the surgical transition, after the euphoria wears off, the suicide rate after sexual transition is 17% higher than it was before. Because what, what many are doing is trying to stop to make the dysphoria go away because the dysphoria is in our thoughts. And so they're trying to make that dysphoria go away by changing their body instead of changing how they, they, they think and react and respond to things. It, it takes counsel, good, godly, biblical counsel, professional counsel to walk with them through that. So just understand that when we affirm someone, especially our children, in their preferred pronouns and such, we're, it's, it's bringing them to the next phase of, of transition. Yeah, I, think I know that was great, a long answer. Yeah, but. No, but I think it's good to know that, you know, it's like <clears throat> we don't want to be manipulated. It is never a loving thing to allow somebody to manipulate you on any level. To allow somebody to manipulate you for money, for, you know, whatever it is, that is not a loving thing to do. Love chooses the highest good for another person. And allowing a person to manipulate is not choosing the best for them. Um, so you, you might say, well, it's choosing the best for me um, because you get to maintain that relationship. But that's not choosing the best for them. And I think, you know, <clears throat> another uh, quote from Frank's book is, um, and he refers to Dr. Uh, Lisa Littman's research study found that 63% of young people had pre-existing mental conditions before announcing they were transgender. Moreover, almost half 
self-harmed, and 50% had suffered traumatic and a, tra- a traumatic event in their lives, um, uh, such as their parents divorcing, being bullied, or sexual abuse. So, 63%. So, they're having there's some kind of mental difficulty that's going on. And if we transfer this into, and we talked about this a couple of months ago, but if you transfer this into an area of anorexia, that's a mental, that's a mental condition. That's not a healthy thing. So if somebody is going to starve themselves to death, do you affirm them? Their head is saying they're fat. Their body is saying they're dying. Which are you going to address? And if knowing that you're going to address that, hey, you are harming yourself, you're hurting yourself, you are doing damage to yourself, it doesn't matter what your mind is telling you right now, your body is saying something else and is something else right now. We, who would affirm somebody um, along that way and call it love? So not exactly the same, but I th- hopefully we can see this. And if people are in that place of, of being confused mentally, we're going to come along and we're going to affirm them. That is not a loving thing to do. It's not a loving thing to do. Is there going to be consequences in your relationship with family, friends, brothers, sisters, uh, college uh, friends, you know, children, parents? Probably so. Probably so. But when they fall into that um, 18, 20% category of people that are not just attempting suicide, the, it's the suicide mortality rate increases 20%. So when they are in that zone, if you've applauded them and affirmed them all the way along, are you the one they're going to come to? Or are they going to be looking for other people that were lovingly speaking the truth. And I think on this, listen, and, and, and I know you have a lot to say on this as well, but in saying that we're not going to affirm, that does not mean that we attack. That's not the alternative. All right? It's not like we either affirm or we attack. You disgust me. I can't believe. What's wrong with Listen, I think, you know, Patty opened up her, her life and kind of, you know, allowed you to see what was going on in her, in her young mind at five and, and on up through. And this is not made up stuff. This is not something that she made up. This was what she was thinking, what she was feeling. So you need to lovingly speak truth into that situation. And um, yeah, we, we don't need to be mean for Jesus, okay? Um, we don't need to do that. We need to love them. I think what you said is, I, I, I'm sure this is confusing. I'm sure this is hard. I understand this is difficult. And I, to feel like you're trapped in the wrong body, I don't know exactly what that's like. But express that to me. And I think you can still engage them on a lot of levels. Yes, listen to their stories, if they're, even if they are your children, because they might have a very different story of their childhood than, than you do or what actually happened because Satan has... The deceiver has come in, and in a lot of uh, stories that I've heard, has just Satan has come in and changed the reality of, of what their ch- made them believe their childhood was something very different than what it actually was. But when I when I speak with parents, like have a parents' night, and a parent will come to me afterwards and, and tell me about their their child is identifying as trans now. They're in you know if the child's like under twenty five years old, I ask them two questions. Are they on the spectrum in the sense of do they have Asperger's or um, autism? And close to between, I'd say like 30 and 35% of them say, yes, how did you know? And I'll get to that in a second. 
And the second question I ask them is, do they watch anime? And 100% of the time, they watch anime. And their eyes get big, and they're like, yes, they love <laughs> anime. How did you know? And this was years ago that the Lord showed this to me. I had no clue about anime. Anime is Japanese animation, but it's prevalent in the trans community, uh, especially for, for young people. And it is, um, there's really not any different, the anime, there's tons of different uh, like stories and, and shows within anime. Um, I have a list that I, we didn't put out on the table, but if you, if you want to know it, I have a list in, in my thing of all, well, this is a few years old, so there's probably more, but all the anime shows that have trans characters in it. Um, but I don't want to take the time to get in it, but uh, anime is very dangerous for many of our children, but especially our children that might have uh, ADHD or Asperger's or autism. You put those two together, and it's, it's just... It's very, very dangerous for our, our children. Mm. And I'll explain more if, yeah. if you want to talk like Sunday after church or I something. I can't believe we're already out of time, but I'm going to get this question. And there is, wow, there's so many great questions here. So here's a question. It's very honest. It's very, um, very uh, kind of, here's my life, here's my failure. It says, um, <clears throat> hi, Patty. I am a younger man who struggles with bisexual attraction. I recently gave in to this temptation, and I don't know who I can confess to. I am terrified of admitting my sins, because a big part of my testimony had been that I struggled but did not gratify my temptations. Now that I have, I feel like a switch has flipped. I'm so thankful you're here, and I'm so thankful that you are strong enough and filled with the spirit of God enough to type in this question and bring it forward. I'm really, really proud of you and thankful for mm -hmm. you. And thank you for sharing that. And Jesus doesn't think God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit doesn't think anything differently of you. He loves you he wants to bring you healing. He wants you to come to him with all this stuff. And what happens, what really, really stinks about sin, especially sexual sin, is it makes us so shameful that we run from God instead of to him with, with our shortcomings, especially our sexual sins. So please, please, please continue to run to God with this. He, he, he saw it. I mean, not that God looks upon, upon sin, but, but he, didn't, he didn't run away from you. He doesn't run away from us because we're sinners. He's the father of the prodigal that's holding his hand out and saying, come back, son, come back. He's there ready and waiting for you. And just come before him with a full heart of repentance and, and, and ask the Lord to meet you in your, your trials and your temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that, that all of these temptations, it's common. You're not the only man in here that has fallen into sexual sin, whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. You're not the only man in here that's fallen into that. These sexual sins are common, but the Lord always makes a way of escape. And some of the ways of escape are confession to other, another brother or sister in Christ, depending on if you're, you're male or female, repentance before the Lord, 
and accountability and for you, a godly man to walk alongside you in this. So um, there are men here tonight mm -hmm. in leadership. If you're a man in leadership here tonight, will you actually raise your hand? So pastors, so elders. So pastors and elders here, please look leaders. around, whoever you are. Brothers, will you be a, 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 a listening ear and a godly man to walk alongside yeah. your brother that was... Uh, faithful enough to answer this or to fill out this question so it will keep keep your hands down now if you're going to judge your brother for what he did will you raise your hand look at brother there's not a single hand raised here tonight there's no judgment for you tonight please if we the bible says in james if we confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another we will be healed yeah. it doesn't say we'll be saved we're already saved it says we'll be healed do you know what that means the lord understands that we have we have we have trespasses that we need to confess and we need to be prayed over and brothers if you could anoint our 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 mm -hmm. young brother with some oil and, and just pray that the Lord would, would help him through this season. Yeah. And I get that this season is hard. Please stop watching porn. Please. If you have to sledgehammer your computer or, or turn in your phone for a flip phone, do it. It's worth it. It's just going to get worse. You can't watch porn and stay sexually pure. You just can't do it. So please, if you're watching porn and if you're masturbating, please, please stop. If you stop the porn, there's a good chance the, the masturbation will stop, but it's going to be really hard because your body is used to it now. So please have accountability with, with uh, the brother here that has raised their hand that, that God leads you to to, to talk to. Yeah. And let me tell you, in 29 years, <clears throat> nobody has ever been run out for confessing sin. And um, that will never happen. And so, um, yeah, come on up. Call the church office. Meet with one of the pastors. Um, but if the Lord's moving on your heart tonight, tonight would be a great, great opportunity. Um, I'm sorry, I said one last question. But I have one more question. Maybe kind of pulls these in. So when a person gets saved and they come out of all of this, does that mean that the temptations stopped and those no longer happen? No. <laughs> Not for anybody that comes. I mean, and, and the thing is now, though, we have the spirit of the living God in us, so we get convicted. Like, when, when I got saved, I didn't even, I was so elated to, to be saved. I was just like, I'm never going to be same-sex attracted again, which, which I really wasn't. I'm going to share two things. Remind me to come back to uh, flag football. Okay. Okay. So... So shocker, I played football. Um, so, so one of the first things that the Lord addressed with me after getting saved wasn't my sexuality or my gender confusion. It was my anger. The Lord showed me right away what an angry person I was. And at first I was like, I'm not angry. And then I went to the woman that was my prior girlfriend and I asked her, um, I think the Lord is talking to me about anger. Am I an angry person? And she put her head down, and I was crushed, crushed. I'm like, oh, I'm angry? I mean, meanwhile, I used to spit at men on the sidewalk when, when they were walking by me. I'm like, I, I was angry. But, <laughs> but, 
you know, I would chase people down at road rage until they got to their destination and I'd get out of the car and talk to them. I didn't realize I was angry. But um, yeah, the Lord talked to me about my anger and, and I asked her that question and then I, I looked her in the eye and I said, did I ever scare you? And she started welling up with tears and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so crushed by that. And so... So as we come and get saved, if you're coming out of like an LGBT identity, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and whatever you're dealing with, let the Lord talk to you with what he wants to, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Just say, Lord, search me, search me. What do you want to address with me first? Lord, I'm I'm dealing with some temptation still. I'm still, I still have same-sex attraction. I don't know what to do with that. Will you help me? Lord, here I am. I'm yours now. I still have same-sex attraction. I still have gender confusion, but I'm asking you to minister to me right where I am. I don't know what to do with all of this, but I do know that I believe in you and I'm reading your word and I trust in you. So I'm bringing all this before you in prayer. Do with me what you will. I love you and I want to walk out my whole life with you. I want to surrender everything with, to you. So here I am. Work with me where, where I am. And so for me, with the, with the flag football, I was so excited to be saved. I didn't think I'd ever have same-sex attraction again. If I did, I would have thought that it would have been with the woman that was my girlfriend. But maybe, so I got saved in January. So spring, I was playing flag football. So we'll just say April. Um, and I was on the same team as her. So when we're done playing flag football, we're, we're driving back home because we owned a home together. I hadn't moved out yet. And she's like, hey, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, what? She's like, you were flirting with that girl on the other team. I'm like, oh, no, I wasn't. That's all gone now. And she's like, no, you were flirting with her. And so after arguing, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to go home and pray and ask God. She's like, I think you should. <laughs> and so, so I went home and I got down on my knees and prayed, you know, Lord, she said this. And was I flirting with her? And the Lord quickened my heart and said, yeah, you were. Hmm. I was crushed, crushed. So I'm weeping before him and crying and praying. And the Lord was just ministering to me, honey, it's, it's okay. That was your life for years. You still have some remnants of that. Bring it to me. I allowed this to be addressed today so that you could know. And now bring it before me. I'm going to help you understand. That's when I started praying and asking, where did all this come from? Because I just thought, poof, it was gone. Why did I know? You know? And so I started asking God questions. Where did it come from? Why do I respond this way? And that's when he started answering those questions and gave me the understanding. I call it reveal and heal. The Lord would reveal this, and then he would heal it. So it's like this great exchange. He reveals whatever this might be, and then he heals it with his truth. So the deception gets recognized brought back to him in prayer, and then the healing comes so we can walk out in that truth instead. Yeah, thank you. Did I answer that? You did. I, okay. Yeah, you did. Well, that was, that was super, super fast. And so um, <clears throat> tell you what we're going to do, um, if you're up for it. Um, if you have children that you need to go, um, you need to go get your children. Otherwise, I'll be strung up by the uh, children's ministry leaders, and I hate it when they do that. So um, you need to go get them. And um, but if you, uh, if you are able to stick around or you really want to stick around, we'll go through some more of these questions for you. Um, I am so thankful um, that uh, we have the 
to college and um, young adults tomorrow. Um, and they get to experience this and they get to get even more. Um, and then I'm also very excited that our, our youth get to hear and get to have this address. So be praying for these things. Um, also, um, <clears throat> I mean, if you've ever gone to our table, you know that um, uh, Patty is one of the domestic uh, missionaries we help to support. And you can see why we're so excited to um, pray for her and write a check to that ministry every, every month. And so um, her cards are out there. Pick them up and, um, and, and um, make sure you're praying for her. So um, don't feel bad if you've got to get up. We don't, you know, I understand you, you, maybe you've got a late night, early morning, and you can get up. Feel free to, to move on out. Um, but there are, like, there are some questions that are just... I don't feel good ending the night without um, addressing. Yeah, we're going to keep recording it. Yeah, we'll keep recording it. So, um, you know, take a minute. You need to move on out. Just ask the people around you, um, and they'll they'll let you go. Um, So, um, wow, this is a real tough one. You ready for a, this is, I think, the toughest one on here. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and with your spiritual Um, gifts so we can answer this, Lord. So, when using, not using preferred pronouns, if you work in an environment where inclusivity is one of the main pillars of the organization, how do you go about using, not using the pronouns? So, this is, you know, yeah, it's not just a relationship that's on the line, now it's my livelihood that's on the line. So, that's why I'm asking for us to continually pray for our public school teachers, um, those in the medical field. I have just shared someplace on Saturday, and this woman is, uh, she's a nurse that delivers babies, and now they're expecting her to, to call the woman that comes in that identifies as a trans man, you know, call this baby's mother, father, and um, she's filled out uh, medical exemptions, I mean, religious exemptions and such, and um, she's on the verge of losing her job, but she's getting a lawyer. Write this down. Pacific Justice Institute and Alliance Defending Freedom. They are very uh, godly uh, uh, lawyers that will have been coming to the defense of the Christian community and, and walking alongside those who are in situations like this. But... The, the line, I mean, the line's always been drawn in the sand, but now it's like a, a Grand Canyon cater, uh, uh, crater, I mean. Uh, the lines are being drawn in the sand, and we really have to make decisions that are going to cost us, um, cost us a lot. But it says in, in Philippians, I believe it is, that it has been granted, it, not only has it been um, given to us to believe in, in Christ, but it's been granted mm-hmm. to us to suffer for his sake. And um, I was, where was I just, I'm in Romans in my New Testament reading. I don't know if I underlined it, but um, yeah, I, I can't remember what, but I, I read, read t- today something um, about, but how much it just costs us. Like nobody suffered like Christ. We cannot even come close to our sufferings the way Christ suffered for us. The Bible, the New Testament is, is pretty filled with what it's, 
what we're to expect as Christians. We're to expect rejection. We're to expect, expect hardship and suffering, but also fullness of joy in abiding in Christ. And so while I get these are real life stories, and I get that it could change life in a way that you never wanted or expected. You could lose 401ks. You could lose retirement, pensions, all of that. But speaking truth to someone could save someone's life. And, you know, and I think that this is not the first time in the history of the church where um, persecution had this side to it. So in the, the first century, um, you know, we will read in Corinthians or we can even read some in uh, Revelation about um, not going to the temples of the, of the gods, you know, that were being worshipped, small g gods, um, and that you were forbidden to go. It's just like, you know, what fellowship has light with darkness? But you got to understand these were like the cultural centers as well. These were the assembly halls. This was the civic center. This is where people gathered for community. And if you are in a particular trade and you are unwilling to go and, you know, worship that God as a part of that trade, you could be kicked out of that trade. And, um, and so it, there are some similarities that livelihood was put on the line for your, your standing for your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I guess what I'm saying is take heart, take comfort. Um, you're not the first, we're not the first, but this is in a long line of persecution. And I think long before it becomes a physical persecution, they seek to manipulate in other ways. If you change a person's language, you change their beliefs. And so what we can do, like if we're at work, and it's, it might sound silly or ridiculous, but as we've been pushed into this corner, just be like, okay, employee Johnson, okay, employee Smith, um, or hey, if somebody comes up to you, you know, where's, where's Jacqueline? Well, you know, and if that's, that's not, if Jacqueline is their new preferred name when you were at work, you know, two years ago and it was Michael, you can just say whatever Jacqueline's last name or Michael's last name is. You could say, you know, employee Smith is, is in a meeting right now. And they might say that sounds silly or whatever. You're not breaking the, the, the um, guidelines of, of wherever your job is. You're calling that employee by their last name. And then I would contact Pacific Justice Institute or Alliance Defending Freedom and ask them the guidelines of how to do that um, lawfully. But now on a personal level, if you have personal relationship with these people at work, just say, look, I'm trying my hardest to, to meet you right where you are in this, but this is who I am. This is who you are. It seems that they contradict each other, but... My prayer and hope is that we could be the exception, that we, you could uh, still be friendly with me at work knowing that I'm a Christian, and I could still be friendly at work knowing that you're you know, trans-identifying or what it is. We have to find a way to do this so that I don't compromise and that you don't compromise. Let's try to figure it out together. Okay. A lot of questions around the wedding, uh, a gay wedding, and children, friends, do we go? Do we not go? How do you handle that? Well, 
there's no verse that says thou shalt not go to a gay wedding, but we see what marriage is from, from that's why I kept saying Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is so important. From the very beginning, through the Bible, we see what marriage is in, in, the, in the physical, but also what marriage is in, in the spiritual in our relationship with Christ as we are the bride of, of Christ. And so I do not believe that we should go to gay weddings. Um, and I get that there's a, a parents in here who, who have a child that, that that conversation might come or has already come. But I want to ask you, where are you going to set your boundaries? If your child comes to you and says that they're a Satanist now and they've met another Satanist and the, the, the only person they could find to do the wedding is some Wiccan priest, are you going to go to their wedding that's literally a satanic ceremony? Like, where will you draw the line? Hmm. The line has to be drawn with biblical truth, and the truth is, is that's not a godly marriage. It's actually very, um, the, 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 the sin of that God calls unnatural. And so um, I think it has to be, for your children, a very tear-filled um, difficult conversation and let them know we love you. We love you for who you are. We've loved you as soon as the moment we found out that we were pregnant, but you know who we are. You know what we believe. And there's, there's just, we're not going to be able to come to your wedding. And plus, I don't know that you would really want us there to you. It's probably going to be one of the most important days of your life thus far. And, and you know that we're not in agreement with this. So we would be coming and we would be so sad and forlorn. And we don't want you to see that. We don't want your guests to see that. So for your sake, we're staying, we're taking a step back and not joining you. This is just the emotional mm -hmm. part of it. Because we don't, we don't think it would be good for you for us to be there. But we will be home praying all day long on that day. And we'll be in your life afterwards. But this, this wedding we can't be a part of because we just don't believe that it's what God has for you or anyone else. Mm -hmm. This next question um, has a statement in it that I don't um, believe is true. But the question is still here. It says, why would God create someone who can't change their feelings about being gay? Well, thank you for asking the question. Um, but... God doesn't create gay people. There is no such thing as a homosexual orientation. The, the, the word orient or orientation, actually, let me, I have it written down, so I want to read it very specifically. It's really hard holding a mic. Um, bear with me for a second. Orientation means, in, in biology, orientation means the change in position of the whole part or part of an organism in response to stimulus, such as light. And as a noun, orientation is the determination of the relative position of something or someone. There is no uh, uh, determination or relative position of, of someone. There's, there's no orientation that can be changed. We're not oriented. We're created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 
He, God created us in the image of himself, male and female. He created them in verse 28. Therefore, be fruitful and more uh, multiply. There have been studies after study. Johns Hopkins does studies all the times of trying to find that quote-unquote gay gene. Every year, I would wait for a new study to come out back when I was in the life to, to just give me the deeper understanding of why I was gay and prove, okay, this is why I feel this way. But, but just within, I think it was two, two years ago, maybe less than two years ago, uh, Johns Hopkins came out with another study showing there is no quote-unquote gay gene. So we are not born gay. There's no gay orientation or gender orientation. Gender is actually a word that was created by Dr. John Money, who is actually a pedophile. He's a very, or I don't think he's alive still, but very disgusting man that brought about the term and the identity of, of gender. But God doesn't create us homosexually and then say, na 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 na, it's yeah. a sin. Good and, luck. Yeah, good luck. That's that's not who God is. So, and in Genesis two four. So again, there we are in the first three chapters of Genesis. In Genesis two seven, it says that God formed man from the ground. And then in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, so many years later, like, you know, thou, you know, thousands of years later, you have Jeremiah being formed in his mother's womb. The word formed in Genesis uh, 2, 7, and the word for formed in Jeremiah 1 are the same Hebrew word. So just as God was active in the creation of um, man and, um, and Eve, Adam and Eve, and he was involved in that. Um, down the line, there is, God is still active. Obviously, it's a different process than what we read about in Genesis, but the behind-the-scenes stuff of God's involvement in creation. So what that would say is that, you know, um, God is not creating people you know, say, is there is the gene pool been corrupted through sin, and are there mutations, and do things take place like that? Yes, they do. But you, so we people are born with sicknesses, they're born with diseases, they're born with um, difficulties. So it's not the same perfect creation that it was before. But but God is is not creating somebody in a way that as they that they cannot possibly please Him. And that there's no way. So this is, I think, what we hear often is like, well, I'm born this way. I can't do this. I think, I think that your environment, I think, you know, um, our culture, I think the influence of, you know, demonic forces, um, you, things within, things without are all having a bearing upon us. And in different ways, I say all of us, because all of us feel different things that we've got to deal with. And so I, I just would, just affirm that God has not created the person that way and said, good luck. Let's use me as an example. So what is my life now? Is my life now without that, that homosexual identity? Is my life now the lie? Now that I don't experience same-sex attraction and I don't identify that way? Or was my life before the lie? So... So I'm a changed life. So if I was born gay, then am I lying now? Is my life a lie? I mean, there's a lot of people like me who, who 
once we're blind and now see, once we're lost and is, is now fine. My, my life isn't a, a joke now. <laughs> I don't do this because I enjoy sitting on a stage traveling the country and expressing all my personal stuff. It's hard to talk about this stuff week after week. But I do it because of the changed life that I have in Christ Jesus. So why am I here if I was born gay? Am I just denying myself now? I can tell you I am not denying myself now. I'm living my life fuller than I ever thought possible. <coughs> this is real, you guys. Mm. This is real. Amen. Yes, Lord is good. So let me, um, I got three thoughts to wrap this up and you can tag on to one of them or you can add to one of them. So what, what do we do here? Um, we stand on the authority of God's word. Um, secondly, we speak the truth in love. And number three, we stand against manipulation tactics. And so I'm sure we could add more things, but these are just three thoughts to, to kind of walk away. Stand on the authority of God's word, speak the truth in love, and stand against manipulation tactics because you're going to feel them more and more. So I don't know if you want to identify one of those and just kind of underline that or if you want to add one more thought. Just one. <laughs> um, remember that we're not called to fix people. We can't. So you're not, you know, you can't fix your children. Uh, love your children and speak truth to them gently and, and kindly and powerfully and with authority all at the same time because you can because the authority is in the word of God the authority is in Christ and we bring that authority with gentleness and and with truth and um, loving someone right where they are isn't condoning what they're doing it's loving someone in spite of what they're doing which is what Christ has done for us and I just want to exhort with, with uh, these verses. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now get ready. Why we do this. This is why we do this. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So there's those spiritual words, those spiritual battles again. Um, uh, escape, snare, devil, captive. These are all battle words. This is a spiritual battle that we deal with in the spiritual realm through prayer and fasting and through uh, gentleness, patience, and humility, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. It's, mm. it's God that brings a person to repentance. Yeah. We don't have the power to bring someone to repentance. We present the truth in humility with grace and with patience, and God might perhaps grant them repentance so mm. that they can come to the truth. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not left in the dark to try and figure this out. You have been very clear and explicit in your word of how you've made us and how we are to live and what our sexuality should look like and is pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, I pray for those in here that feel this struggle on not just the homosexual level, but on the heterosexual level where they're not conforming to your truth. And Lord, they're they're 
there's brokenness. I pray that you will bring them to um, that place of victory. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would show up in a mighty way. You would also allow them to hear the wisdom that's been spoken of those things that maybe are still allowing for that um, that sin to find life within them, um, whether it's the, the porn or whether it's um, relationships. Lord, uh, give them the grace to be able to uh, make hard decisions um, to, to move away. Lord, we know that you are going to um, be there for them, and I pray that your grace will show up in their lives in such a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, I pray for the family and friends of those who um, are... Um, they're walking this out in the house and in conversation and relationships are on the line if they uh, take a stand for righteousness if they say what you say if they agree with you lord there's going to be severe consequences that they're going to feel i pray you give them boldness i pray you give them um, courage and that lord you will use that that stand um, to bring that person back uh, to you, and um, that they will, um, I pray they will not be overcome with grief and sorrow, Lord, but they will, they will see this as um, a suffering, a, a type of persecution that they're enduring, um, Lord, and that we will count it an honor to, to suffer um, alongside of you. And so, Lord, show up. Lord, we pray that you will bring revival to our nation, to our families, to our, our children. Um, Lord, it's you that's needed. And we need you to show up because, Lord, we certainly are not the answer for people. Lord, you are. So we pray that you will just have mercy upon us. We pray for righteousness, Lord, to abound in this nation. We pray for um, the school teachers and administrators that are... Um, standing as a light and are choosing to stand as a light in these dark places, Lord. Give them wisdom. Protect them. Um, Lord, we pray for those who are in that and they don't feel like they have any option at all. Lord, give them clarity moving forward. And may they trust you and trust your word. And Lord, we thank you again that um, we're not left alone. We're not orphans, but Lord, you've sent your spirit. And may we be those followers of yours that are walking in obedience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.